X-Rated. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. If we sound different this week, it's because we are. <laughs> We're infirm. We've both been struck by various forms of disease and plague. Not the kind that the government is trying to bring us down with. Or it could be. I don't know. Maybe this is a new form. I did get a flu vaccine and probably got the flu. I, on the other hand, just had a whole litany of things that spiraled out of control. I had a bad allergic reaction, to which I took a bunch of antihistamines, to which I think ill-prepared me for this uh, cold season, (laughs) and I ended up just actually getting sick. Oh, God. When you're having an allergic reaction, you're supposed to be suppressing your body's natural urges. Right. And I think in doing that, I just left myself open to attacks. (laughs) From the government? Possibly. I have no doubt that Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump would be happy to have Washington just wiped off the map. (laughs) I'm sure we are a thorn in his side. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was what, Bob Ferguson was one of the people who initially got the the travel ban uh, struck down or sued or something like that. Yeah, yeah. We got weed here in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of granola eating, Birkenstock wearing... Volkswagen driving hippies. This is just the the USSR <laughs> in state form. May as well be at the for them. You know, we are recording this a little bit out, and it is possible that uh, there was that whole alien thing. Like the the government recognized the fact that aliens are real. Maybe they've touched down at this point and uh, have since obliterated us. <laughs> During the 2016 election, there was a guy who made money just by like making fake news articles Uh and it was like specifically ones for on the right like you know hillary clinton smells like sulfur you know alex jones level like (laughs) fake news stuff and he he was making all this money doing it on the right he's like oh i wonder if i can do it on the left and he could not (laughs) it's like the type of fake news that we go for is like the ones that uh you know news articles where he's like mueller's got him now guys yeah (laughs) uh but, like, there wasn't enough money in that. He's like, that's not sensational enough. Like, everyone's already doing that. Like, I can't really make money off that. Isn't that sad? <laughs> <laughs> I have this one friend from high school that I keep in my Facebook feed just because he posts the crazy right-wing stuff. And oh, it's okay. nice. Like, I, I haven't even called him a friend. He's just somebody I knew from high school. And uh, there was one uh, that he posted just a couple days ago that said, and his his words were, I'm so sorry, but this I know this is absolutely true. <laughs> and I read the headline and it was celebrities in Hollywood get together on Christmas to eat babies. <laughs> and I was just like, you really believe that? Wow. Like which celebrities? <laughs> I didn't click on the link. I uh. should have followed through. But um. You know, I wanted, I just had so many questions for him. It was mm-hmm. like, so, so you know this to be true. Like, have you witnessed it? Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you seen uh, video footage? Um, Maybe he's cracked into that, like, secret club that's at the end of uh, Death Becomes Her, where it's like all those, like, uh, celebrities oh. that, like, fake their death at a young age. Yeah. As one of my clients simply said, I want to be alone. <gasps> Maybe he cracked into that. Maybe Death Becomes Her just left out the baby eating. Yeah. I could see I could see that being uh, a part that hit the cutting room floor. <laughs> Doesn't it's seem just a- like we just can't keep this as PG with this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know Meryl was down for it. Yeah, she's open-minded. Yeah. You know, 
She'll try anything once. <laughs> I, I'm picturing her and Isabella Rossellini just quietly sitting down, <laughs> carving up a little small. Tastes just like veal. <laughs> Tender. Mm. Considering the movie we're talking about today, maybe we shouldn't talk about oh, eating God. babies. <laughs> so while you've been uh, on the mend, mm-hmm. have you been able to watch anything fun this week? Yeah. I just got done watching the uh, new Errol Morris show that's on Netflix. Oh, what's that called? It's called Wormwood. It's about MK Ultra. <laughs> I don't know what that is. So it was a government-sponsored thing by the cia uh where they were giving people lsd um to test their ability to resist you know like interrogation and there was one guy that they did it on who uh apparently didn't hold up very well under questioning and ended up they ended up assassinating him basically assassinating him. yeah maybe that's not the right word uh um uh, taking care of yeah they took care of him and, and it just really digs deep it was good it was uh you know errol morris is great uh, yeah really digs in there and um he even draws some lines to donald rumsfeld and dick cheney with this thing which really I, I didn't know it went that direction but it's interspersed with dramatic reenactments mm-hmm. starring like peter sarsgaard and bob balaban mm. um i mean errol morris does his reenactments quite a bit like yeah. that's sort of one of his calling cards but it, these were like with you know full-on uh, yeah i was gonna lines say, and everything usually they don't go into like full reenactments yeah you know uh current affairs style yeah it was kind of like that but um you know well acted hmm. uh tastefully done you know he always picks like one person as the focus kind of of his documentaries and this one is about uh the man's son okay um and how his life has just sort of been consumed with discovering the truth about what happened to his father okay um and it gets to the point where they like exhume the body even and it's it's nutso wow but um yeah it was good it's five parts so it's a little long it's all in the same subject matter Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. and it's on netflix you said it's on netflix yeah wormwood yeah it just came out not too long ago i have to check that out yeah sometime in december okay have you ever seen like the device that he interviews people on? I haven't, but it's called something yeah, funky. Like the interview Otron um yeah, or something. Something like that. But yeah, it basically it's like it's his face on a screen and then there's like arms on it that have cameras. <laughs> so it's like it gets like from all angles, but it's like you can still make eye contact with the person, but you're uh-huh. not like actually there. Yeah. I don't know. The, there are very basic camera tricks that like I don't know how people do them yeah, like how do people pan in front of a mirror like i don't know <laughs> i know <laughs> but it's like they figured that one out a long time ago <laughs> and i'm still over here like scratching my head about it yeah i remember when the matrix first came out and i was i don't know 14 maybe mm-hmm. 13 14 and uh there's that you know the trinity shot like in the opening scene with yeah. like the kick and I, I would, like, rack my brain. How do they do that? I was like, did they just, like, suspend her there and, like, take one shot and, like, move the camera over? <laughs> now hold still. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, recommended. So are you familiar with the filmmaker Xavier Dolan? I'm not sure. He's the sort of person that you're going to hate because he's so successful and young. Mm-hmm. So he's Quebecois. Okay. He's, like, 26, has five feature-length films under his belt, maybe uh, even more than that. Good for him. 
<laughs> and he's gay and he's cute. Okay. It's just like it's really aggravating. <laughs> oh, no, I have heard of this guy. Yeah. He's he's like um a festival darling. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Yeah. And he's cute. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Okay. It's obnoxious. Luckily, he hasn't made a movie that's very good yet. Oh good. <laughs> so I'm not like too jealous, but like at this point, I'm like, ah, you know that he's just gonna be like pumping out like a film a year until he makes a masterpiece and everyone's mm. gonna cream themselves for it. Yeah. But uh, I watched his movie Tom at the Farm, which is uh, one that he also stars in. Okay. The movie was a lot more like Hitchcockian than I thought. Oh. I thought it was gonna be like interpersonal drama, but it was sort of like slightly homoerotic thriller. Okay. Didn't quite land on all the parts that I wanted it to. It's like Xavier Dolan plays Tom. And he's going to uh, the funeral of his boyfriend. Okay. And it's in this, like, really small, socially conservative town in, you know, buttfuck Canada. Okay. And the kid who died has, like, an abusive older brother. But, like, his abuse works itself out into, like, slightly homoerotic overtones. Mm. And, but it's also, like... He also seems all about the ladies, so you're just, like, not quite sure what he's going to be doing. Okay. Sort of a wild card. So, like, there's definitely, like, good parts to it, but, like, it never really quite stuck the landing on, like, anything that it was trying to do. Hmm. Maybe it's just because I'm jealous of Xavier Dolan and his beauty and his talent, <laughs> and I'm, you know... Uh, that clouds my judgment sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he does have some good movies. I would recommend Mommy even though he plays with the aspect ratio too much in that. But yeah, most recently, Tom at the Farm. You know, you get to look at Xavier Dolan for like 90 minutes in it, so. Throw that in the plus column. <laughs> yeah. dive in are, are we ready to open up this pandora's box oh boy are we ever so you know in this environment in this landscape of heightened awareness concerning sexual abuse and whatnot ryan chose a movie that sympathizes these perpetrators <laughs> now 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 i wouldn't say that i chose a movie yes that that tackles that subject <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it sympathizes. I decided to choose 1998's Happiness. It's a dark comedy of the pitch blackest nature uh-huh. that still manages to make me laugh. Oh yeah, I forgot a lot of the horrible things that are in this movie. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't seen it in a while, and watching it this time I was like, "Oh my, this is really problematic." I can see why people had problems with it. So yeah, it's been minimum five years since i've seen it maybe more and it's more squeaky than ever now (laughs) yeah i i really i don't know how people really responded to it back then and i feel like even though like this came out in the 90s and the 90s were like not a woke time for this sort of stuff Mm mm-hmm I feel like it's even more problematic now. Yeah, maybe than it was twenty years ago. It's a real polarizing movie. I found. I found oh, some yeah. people really love it, and some people really hate it. I land in the love column. I think it's an excellent. Movie. Oh no! I this is a five star film for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is no. I I love this movie, 
but that doesn't mean that like I'm not like watching it with just like sort of like pulling my hair a little bit or like <laughs> yeah just sort of being like oh my I can't believe they're doing this yeah real fast just the the premise is that um it sort of follows interweaving storylines of a diverse cast that's all sort of based around these three sisters pretty mm-hmm. much one of them whose name is Joy is just like <sighs> She's just kind of a loser. She's a dreamer. She's a 30-year-old loser, let's be honest. <laughs> you know, she still wants her music career to get off the ground, which I'm not bad-mouthing 30-year-olds that have musical aspirations, but the song that she sings in this sucks. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, give it up. Yeah. She's got no real work ethic. Like, that's one thing. Yeah. She just kind of bounces around, like, wherever the circumstances throw her. Yeah. She's got no spine. She's, she's like helplessly optimistic though too but on the surface at least yeah like maybe she's dead inside we just we, we don't we can't really <laughs> discern that well, that's one sister mm-hmm. then there's one who's basically like the typical 90s mom who's uh who's got it all she, she insists on saying I mean, she's not like me you know she doesn't have it all she's got the husband she's got the the kids you know the nice house that mom like the depiction like that character of uh-huh. like the suburban mom with like the 2.3 kids and the husband i was like this is why republicans get elected <laughs> i was like it's because of women like this <laughs> because like if you meet her like i'm sure you'd think she's perfectly nice and sweet mm-hmm. and she has this sort of appearance of being sympathetic and warm and friendly and yeah. like she, you know she wants to nurture but there's sort of a scene halfway into the movie maybe a little further where one of her kids remarks that like their teacher is a junkie yeah and she's just like i'm sorry but when it comes to drug abuse and children my children they should all just be locked up and throw away the key this is that tough on crime law and order vote right here yeah i don't want any of this near my kids not when we're talking about my kids (laughs) she even says billy i want you to know something if you ever even think of doing drugs and end up dying in a hospital I disown you. That's how strongly I feel about it. This is that, like, constituency that, like, votes, like, women that should not vote Republican, but, like, you get a tough law and order candidate, and they're just like, that's my person. Yeah, she would vote Republican. She would totally vote for Sarah Palin. You know that she would. Yeah. And, like, Sarah Bachman. That's, like, right up her alley. Gross. But when we're introduced to her, you know, like, after the opening credits, she seems... A little passive aggressive, but n- otherwise nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, maybe on the surface, saying she's got it all, but maybe there's there's moments where it hints that like she's not entirely happy herself. Well, it comes out pretty quickly that her and her husband aren't having sex, right? And have not for a long time, right? So that's one thing that mm-hmm. isn't on the table for her. She doesn't quite have it at all. She doesn't have the D. Yeah. Uh, but she's also jealous of her other sister, played by Laura Flynn Boyle, who is like. Some famous... Um, That's Helen. The Laura Flynn Boyle is Helen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and she's like a famous poet, basically. But <laughs> her... Who has lots of success, <laughs> talks to Salman Rushdie on the phone. Yeah. Like, Hello? Oh, Salman. Ho- one second. One second. She's She's got it made. She's, she's got like bodybuilders, you know. She's beating him off with a stick. And yeah. 
she's uh but she she lacks um the authenticity that she really wants from her, her, from her art plight is so first world problems <laughs> did you see like the book of poetry like the one that she wrote it was like pornographic childhood or yeah. something <laughs> rape, rape at, at 12. 12 what the hell do i know about rape oh, if only i'd been raped as a child then i would know authenticity but instead i mean of the three sisters i think her plight is probably the least sympathetic oh, yeah. she's almost like a caricature in a like purposeful way. yeah but like the sort of just ivory tower artist, yeah. like just locked away in her fame and she can't <laughs> really relate to, to real pain and plight. And yeah. that is her pain and plight. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's characters all around them that um, sort of swirl. The main one and the one we may as well just like talk about it is the mom, uh, Republican voting mom's husband is a pedophile trish is the mother trish name. is the mom yeah um but he he does a fantastic job t- making this pedophile somewhat sim- <laughs> sympathetic huh so I, I mean the movie's a lot of interconnected vignettes mm-hmm. all these people are sort of you know tangentially connected somehow mm-hmm. but the, the yeah the main one is definitely trish and her husband Bill. Bill. It's funny because he makes their scenes, there's like this happy music playing over them. It's all like color saturated. It looks, the look of everything that's happening is very like, you know, it's sitcom. Almost, 90s yeah, sitcom. It's, I was going to say it's, it's like full house or something. Yeah. Hey. Hi, how's work? Oh. Hmm. Hey, Billy. But the subject matter. <laughs> yeah. It's dark well we're introduced to bill via uh, a dream sequence like a dream that he's having right where he's like walking through like a park and he pulls out a gun and starts shooting i forgot about this This i did too that's one where i was like oh that's rough so he has a dream sequence of a of a mass shooting that he's perpetrating then it kind of cuts that he's talking to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is asking him, like, you know, how do you feel after this dream? He goes, wonderful. I feel great. And he's like, how is this different from any of the others? And he's like, well, in this one, I don't kill myself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, the, the reveal that he's a pedophile is a little bit later. Right. He gets a kitty mag, like, with um, Jonathan yeah. Taylor Thomas on it. Yeah, from, something like that. From the grocery store and then immediately runs to his car and jerks off to in it. In the parking lot. Yeah. And it's like while he's finished, like you see like a mother and her kids like get in the car yeah, next, next to him. him. Oh, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. So, you know, you get the, oh, he he's into little boys. Yeah. And it's nice. I mean, it's nice. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's sweet. You know. <laughs> I like that they're. That he's showing, not telling. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how you'd tell that, but like, I'm glad that it's just okay. We we get the picture. Oh, I mean, Todd Salons could have easily gone like just at the psychiatrist's office, telling the psychiatrist like I have these feelings. Yeah, that's true. Now that would have been the easy way out, but like, it's not revealed till the third or fourth scene with this character. Yeah, and it starts to manifest itself in a difficult way when he's at a baseball game with his son Billy. 
and he sees uh, the coach's son playing, and he... It's very... I don't know how to describe it. it it's longing looks at, at this baseball, at this young child playing baseball, but through a fence. So it's like, you know, he's sort of like in his own prison in a way, or there's like this barrier he's, he's got in front of him. Oh, yeah. I wasn't looking at it that way, but it's just at the baseball game, or it's after the baseball game, I guess, when the, the coach is like, Look, my son's a fag. And then they come over and they're like, Daddy, may I please sleep over at Billy's tonight? Sure, sure, whatever. Yay! Like girls. So he goes over to have sleepover. And um, Bill ends up drugging the entire family. So they go to bed. What were we talking about with Tootsie were like comedies like in the details? Yeah. So he makes some like hot fudge sundaes for like the whole gang, like, and everyone eats it except for the object of his desire because <laughs> he doesn't like hot fudge for <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, you can go home now. <laughs> My crush would be over at that point. <laughs> so he really is like trying to get him to eat something so that he can drug him. Yeah. And the kid decides on, like, was it tuna salad? Yeah, tuna salad sandwich. And, yeah, put some sleeping pills in the tuna fish sandwich. And there's that really uncomfortable scene when it's just the dad and the kid, like the the son's friend. The rest of the family's already passed out. Like, the, the drugs have already kicked in and they're asleep. Yeah. And... The friend is like sitting playing video games still, and he kind of looks over at at the dad. But like the way that the kid turns and looks at the dad, it was before passing out. He just kind of like arches his back up, yeah. And like does like this like Lolita centerfold pose. <laughs> He's filmed in a weird sort of ogling way like, he's filmed like very angelically yeah like very innocently but like not that there's like a soft light filter around him or anything like that but he's just he's captured just innocent and sweetly yeah but yeah there's just he just does that little pose something like, about the way his body is is shaped it's very where where if like a, if a if an adult were doing this i'd be like oh mrs robinson you're trying to seduce me yeah but it's like this nine-year-old kid <laughs> and i'm like oh god and like you know that like he's about to get roofied essentially yeah and you know by this pedophile and i don't know if we're really doing justice to the sympathy parts <laughs> it's funny because it's like that scene wouldn't taken out of context like you wouldn't think it was sexual except that i don't know the the arching of the back that he you does think so? okay well maybe I, like i definitely got like a uh, little <laughs> squeaky uh, i'm like oh this is troublesome <laughs> maybe it was just the combination that i knew that he was about to be drugged or the drugs hadn't kicked in yet but yeah, there was just the body language that the kid was in that really read sort of like, you know, asking for it in, mm. in like the, the problematic sense. Like it, it looked like he was trying to be seductive. Ugh. And, you know, obviously it's like how the 
dad is interpreting what's going on. This nine-year-old yeah. is in no way, in no way. <laughs> wanting this. I think that's how I, I, now that you're mentioning it, the first time I saw this movie was kind of reading it okay. a little bit. This time around, I was just like, no, he's just innocent. And he's being filmed that way. Uh, yeah. I mean, it it, it, it could be, but <laughs> I don't know. I watch it now. I'm still just like, oh, no, he's being shot like very Lolita-esque here. Yeah. And talking about this storyline is hard. <laughs> Because we're not really getting the humanity of the dad. Yeah. We're not, I don't think we're accurately portraying like his struggle with this and how this is sort of a breakdown of his own moral code at this point. He gets a scene early on because we see him be a really good dad to his own kid. Yeah. His, His own kid is Billy and his Billy is a little one dimensional in that all he all he wants to do is come because all the rest of his friends have. But so like he comes in and he's like, Dad, what does come mean? And like, you know, he, they, he just has this frank and honest conversation with him about like, well, son, when you play with yourself, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you if you didn't know that he was a pedophile as well, it would just seem like, well, he's being a pretty good father. Here. Yeah, he, he's being pretty broad-minded about sort of sexual exploration yeah. there's a couple times where like the line is crossed it, though in it gets really uncomfortable yeah at the end when he's like do you want me to show you no 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 no, no. stop 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 <laughs> too far too far <laughs> thankfully the kid's like no it's okay you're like oh i guess that brings me to the point that like this movie is a comedy to yeah. me like it's it's yeah. a dark dark comedy mm-hmm. but like that is a prime example of what makes this movie funny is that it's like we know that the dad's a pedophile and like that that is a really i mean it's weird enough that like having a dad be like would you like me to show you how to masturbate Mm -hmm. but it's like extra dark and uncomfortable when it's like we know he's a pedophile yeah and the fact that it walks up to that line but then like shies away from it just just fine yeah i mean it does a good job of showing that that this really is a burden on him it's not like he's a pedophile and he's okay with it like he's he's been struggling with it yeah and you you get the idea that yeah johnny grasso the the son's friend that comes over that this is the first instance where he's transgressed yeah and (laughs) there's no like switch that's flipped or anything like that it's just he sees this opportunity he gets the idea that johnny grasso's gay and for some reason, he just forgoes any sense of, like, moral or ethics that he previously held. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's like, a common thing that you see with, in real life, especially, like, in the Catholic Church, is, like, you know, there's always the argument that's, like, oh, these priests, like, raped a kid, and now he's gay because he got raped as a child. But it's, like... No, usually the priests like hunt down like the shy ones that don't feel like they fit in and like mm. yeah, are are predators towards those. And like kudos to Todd Salons for accurately portraying that dynamic in a movie. <laughs> the next time cuz he does end up raping another child mm. and this time it's because he finds out from his son Billy that one of his classmates parents are gone to Europe and so he's left home alone at age 11. Yeah. Come on, guys. Seriously. So he just like... The dad fucking books it over there. Yeah. Hello, in Roseland, please. I'm looking for the address of a resident. The name is Farber. 
So, I mean, I guess that's one of those, you know, examples of like once the dam has broken, it's just like can't control himself anymore. So I'm going to use this moment here. Todd Salons, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. He he's sort of an interesting guy. Like if you ever read an interview with him, mm. he's just got interesting things to say. And one of the things that he says is that he's not interested in traditionally sympathetic characters. Okay. That he's like, if you give a nice person cancer, bam, they're sympathetic. Like right. that's, that's not interesting to me. So his goal in really all of his movies is to make you sympathize with someone who's like wicked, like with a loathsome human being. And with happiness, like I really feel like this is his magnum opus. Like this is his, his manifesto. Like all the themes like he, he only did like one big film before this. uh, Welcome to the dollhouse. Yeah. Yeah. But really all the ones after this still sort of revisit these same sort of, themes a lot of them have the vignette structure a lot of them have pedophiles (laughs) but this is like the one where like all his themes as a director are like on full display right and he's like as a director firing on all cylinders he's got that like yeah like the the dad bill is a monster he's a serial rapist pedophile (laughs) But we're still laughing. Yeah. And we're still like following the story. Like I never emotionally chuck out from his story. Yeah. I'm me never neither. like, this is too far or this is unbelievable or I don't care anymore. Like I'm still like, okay, what's happening next? Yeah. And one of the most like emotionally wrought scenes of the movie is with him and his son. Yeah. Later when it all comes out and the, the kid's like, you know, did you do it? And he just is honest. Yeah. And I think his honesty is what really helps kind of save his character. We know in the past, with past interactions with his son, he's always tells the truth. You know, mm-hmm. he's always telling the truth of his son. So mm. when he asks him the direct question, he answers honestly. And it's sad <laughs> and horrifying, but it's also, I would argue, almost like the punchline to like what he's been building to the whole time. So I, I do kind of have a question because as many times as I've, I've watched this, those conversations are sort of like the, the leap motif of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's like, I think three, maybe more conversations yeah. between just the two of them about like sexuality right. that happened throughout different points in the movie. And you never see any other two characters have interactions like that throughout the movie. Yeah. And with Billy's Bill and Billy's specifically is, is that it is sort of building to a climax for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um and so I was wondering if there was something about the conversation that they're having that either epitomizes the movie itself or like pulls the movie together, I guess. I couldn't I couldn't quite see anything. I couldn't make anything out of the conversations that they were having that did it but i was wondering if you saw something in their conversations yeah for me god and i can't believe i have to like put words to this because <laughs> it's it's kind of gross it's sort of like i didn't i didn't see it so much this time as i did maybe the first couple times i've watched this movie but like billy is looking for some kind of approval from his father or some kind of like connection with him sure um and so discovering that 
his dad had this connection with Johnny, Mm -hmm. no matter how warped and disgusting it is, that hurts him. And so that's why when he goes like, well, have you had these thoughts about me? And he says, yes. He's like, will you ever fuck me? No. jerk off instead that's what makes him break down that's what makes him like really really start crying hard yeah because he's like my dad doesn't love me in the same way that he loves this other kid and it's funny in a way i mean it's not i still laugh with like the no i'd jerk off me too like it's it's i i don't even know why it's funny like it's still monstrous yes that's the thing is like that's what I think makes this movie the best dark comedy ever is because it's like, that is funny. That's a funny moment, but it's at a moment when somebody's feeling their most deepest pain, you know? And I, yeah. Cause the dad, especially yeah. In that specific conversation, the dad's still being like 100% forthright with the son. Yeah. Like not candy coating, not hiding or alluding or like being you know truthy about it he's he's kind of talking to his son almost like he would talk to an adult almost absolutely he's treating his son like a person and and not sugarcoating it for him yeah i was just gonna say i kind of feel like the son and the dad have the relationship as the audience and the movie itself oh because the the son really wants to like connect and like love the dad yeah and the dad's making it real hard (laughs) (laughs) and there's just sort of a a a breakdown or it it hits you know different barriers at different points but it was a tenuous idea that i had while watching it i've seen this movie maybe five times Mm -hmm. yeah this is probably the fifth time i've seen the movie and i still kind of struggle to see what todd salon's like ultimate goal is like i know that like he wants us to like sympathize with the characters but like to what end like and for how long? Like, does he want us to actually sympathize with the father start to finish? We sympathize with him, you know, in the beginning when he's like struggling with his urges. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm not sympathizing with him when he's like actively raping children. Mm-mm. But that the last conversation that he has with his son, like you. And I, I think this this goes to the credit uh, to the actor playing um yeah who just Dylan puts, Baker puts full humanity into that character absolutely and he's talking about how like he loved it how like he would absolutely do it again yeah. that, but he puts like just both feet into into the humanity of the character at that point mm-hmm. I mean that's a brave role for an actor I could see that being a career killer fast yeah man he is so lucky to have a career after this movie because yeah you'd think that like that would have done and done him in it never feels like he shies away from it and never feels like he's he's trying to to flatten the character at all it feels like he's really playing the character how it was supposed to be played yeah I'm glad that this movie has this character in it because it's really easy to just turn off when you hear like pedophile. You just like put that wall up and you're like monster. You don't even see a human anymore. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot with like murderers Mm -hmm. where it's like you see them, you know, as, as somebody who killed someone and then you're just like, that's all you are anymore. But it's like not that that excuses their behavior, but it's like it does pay off to sort of 
think about the fact that, that this is a human that had like a break yeah. somewhere, you know, where they just like their humanity, they lost it somewhere. Having wa- been watching Mindhunters recently, like oh, they yeah. talk a lot about that, like how otherwise like law abiding citizens like just snap at like something triggers it. Right. And they, they break from their own sense of ethics. Yeah. It's important to understand that. Like, because if you just write it off as like monster, then you know, we, we can't prevent this from happening again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people would be uncomfortable sympathizing with, I mean, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with it. With yeah. <laughs> but it's important to realize that this is a human with yeah. like a psychological problem rather I, than a monster. Yeah. I mean, that that's one thing is like sex offenders, like it's hard to legally to create protections for them. Like if you're in like one of the States with like harsher punishments on it, like, you're never allowed to use a computer again. Yeah. And it's like, what kind of job are you going to get where you can't use a computer? I know. And then it's like, you can only live in so many areas. Like here in Seattle, there's like one house that has like five. If you go on, like go online, like try and find like, you know, the sex offender map to like, see where like sexual predators are in your neighborhood. Uh-huh. There's one building around here that has like six of them because they, they can only live like so close to a school and they can only live like, you know, so close to a library and stuff like that. So yeah. there's limited number of areas where they can even live. So it's like, if you're going to like live and work and no politician wants to like defend these people. Oh yeah. Cause like who wants to defend the pedophile? Like that's not, <laughs> that's not going to get you reelected. <laughs> that's not going to get you. Votes. Trish isn't going to vote for that. <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, you'll see politicians making easy targets out of them too. Yeah. Cause then if they're like, Oh, we just put these, New laws on the books were tougher on sex offenders, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, especially in the cases of like statutory rape where it's like he's 22 and she's 17. Like, come on. Yeah. That's not a lifetime of punishments. (laughs) Guilty. Yeah. I mean, we should talk about some of the other characters in this movie too real fast. I really like personally Cameron Mannheim's character. Which one's Cameron Mannheim? She's the, uh, she's a murderer. (laughs) She's the one who murders Pedro. Oh, she was in, what was it, like Boston Legal or something? Yeah, yeah, One of yeah, those. Yeah. She was big in the 90s, and then she kind of, I don't know what happened to her. But um. <laughs> I like the arc of her character. I don't know if I necessarily like her character a lot. Uh-huh. So I guess we should talk about that story. Like I said, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah, in it, too. Yeah, he's in this movie. So Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is a patient of bill the pedophile right bill is is a psychiatrist or psychologist i'm not sure which and philip seymour hoffman plays a character that has sort of what what do you call those (laughs) he makes dirty phone calls to anonymous women to jerk off too uh his name the character's name is alan okay and he's the most boring person Otherwise, he he thinks he is, and everyone else seems to think so. I mean, his apartment's pretty drab. He's got yeah. like no pictures hanging up. He's got mm-hmm. like no bookshelf. But he basically just goes through the phone book, <laughs> calls up women, and like says dirty things to, over the phone while jacking off. Yeah, you know, violently sexual things. Yes, you are empty. You are a zero. You are a black hole, and I'm gonna fuck you so bad you're gonna be coming out of your ears. And, like, he knows that it's bad. He doesn't know that it's bad the same way that Bill knows that his urges are bad. Yeah. He does sort of acknowledge that, like, these aren't, like, healthy or realistic things. And, you know, he's got that thing where, like, he only wants to sleep with super hot women. Yeah. uh, He lives in the same building as uh, Lara Flynn Boyle's character. Right. uh, Next door to her. Yeah, next door. 
which that's a whole thing that gets tied together. But uh, what was the, the actress's name? Cameron Mannheim. Cameron Mannheim. Yeah, she lives across the hall. And she sort of has a crush on Alan. Christina. Christina has a crush on Alan. Yes. Which, ew. <laughs> I know, he's gross in this movie. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman is disgusting. <laughs> he's just, he's got like the uh, Mark David Chapman glasses. Well, he kind of looks like Mark David Chapman. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> You're mentioning it. Kinda, yeah, a little bit like that. And yeah, he's just gross. And like, he's on the phone with one of the sisters, I think, when he does it, when he jacks off. Joy. Yeah, okay, so it's when he like calls Joy by accident, just by happenstance. Yeah jacks off like while talking to her and like his spooge hits the wall and then he like puts a magazine clipping over it (laughs) and leaves it there like there's uh, there's other magazine clippings like this is not the first time that like that's what he does he just like spooges on the wall and then like uses it to stick it on there it was so gross (laughs) Like, he's so gross, because he's, like, such a mouth breather in this. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, just jacks off, and his cum is on the wall, and he doesn't <laughs> clean it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Helen, as we were discussing, <laughs> sad that she was not <coughs> raped at 11, gets a phone call from Alan, mm-hmm. and so she's sort of intrigued and, like, sort of toys with the idea of, like, letting this anonymous guy over the phone yeah. she star like, 69s him yeah. <laughs> like she kind of like gets the idea like oh well maybe if i mean she never says it but the the implication is like maybe if i let him do whatever to me then i will know this real pain yeah. i will be able to make real art then <laughs> so he eventually comes over <laughs> which we've all had hookups like that <laughs> and she's like oh come on in <laughs> so she's used to you know Guys in the spokesmodel category, mm-hmm. your bodybuilders, your models, that sort of thing. Yeah. Sees a lumpy dumpy Phil Seymour Hoff. A little disappointed. And like they sit on opposite ends of the couch. <laughs> and I, what does he do? Like he like he slowly reaches across and it takes forever. <laughs> and then she's like, this isn't working. Which is another hilarious thing because it's like it's played off. That long reach over, like it may, maybe something's gonna happen. And then the second he touches her, she's just, nope, nope, never gonna work. But then he goes and uh, crawls in bed with uh, with Cameron Mannheim, Christine. Oh, but that's also like after he realizes that she killed someone. I was, in, I was really into her storyline this time because, um, so yeah, she's trying to, Christine is trying to flirt with Alan for reasons unknown but she went the first time she comes over she's like did you hear what happened to pedro he was found bludgeoned to death in his apartment this morning oh uh. yeah and uh, supposedly um his penis was missing oh it's funny because like we the audience don't know that like that maybe the police don't know that he's dead yet either yeah. because yeah she's the one who kills him <laughs> spoiler alert but she has such a sad sort of desperate story too because she's just so used to people laughing at her because she's a big girl and that's sort of like where my problem with the character comes in i feel like she gets a little fat shamed in this yeah because like when she's telling the story of pedro oh and she's talking about how like you know she's coming home and she just got like a half gallon of strawberry ice cream two boxes of fudge and a key lime pie 
And uh, I just couldn't wait to get home and get under the covers, you know, and, and watch TV. And she's telling this while she's eating a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but so Pedro ends up helping her with her groceries and then raping her and then she kills him. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked the line. I guess I'd never noticed this before, but he's like, So you did cut off his... No! I left it attached. I didn't want to touch it again. Well, because at that point you kind of realize that she... I don't know if I want to say asexual because it doesn't seem like she's devoid of sexuality. Yeah. It kind of seemed like she, I don't know, has, I'm going to go back to the word that you used, warped sort of perception of it. Yeah. Yeah, because she says like, no, I didn't want to touch it. But then at the end, like, did you hear about the, you know, because Helen lives in that building too. Oh, right. And at the end, they're like, oh yeah, the, the doorman was found with his penis severed. So it's like, she, yeah, did she did cut off the penis. <laughs> the police came and looked in her freezer and found baggies filled with the doorman's genitals. I use baggies. Me too. Everyone uses baggies. That's why we can all relate to this crime, don't you see? But, but yeah, she seems so sweet until that. And then like the way that she says, like, no, I didn't touch the penis. Or, yeah. And then when you find out that she did, it's like, then I start wondering, like, was she actually raped? then or was it just this is all her account of yeah it, so maybe and not. i don't know it just kind of seemed like yeah the, the idea that that she actually did cut off the penis even though she said that she didn't it makes you view her story more through her lens than an, an accurate recount yeah. of the story i guess but Good point. yeah but it, it's sort of interesting i just i just kind of feel like they fat shame her and i feel like it was unnecessary because it makes her just seem real sad <laughs> yeah that's a good point i didn't i guess i didn't think about that we haven't really talked about joy yeah i was gonna say and Joy's the one that starts the movie out with i know that scene between her <laughs> and john lovitz is hands down one of my top 10 favorite scenes of all time i love it too <laughs> it's so good this movie starts with i feel a great shot reverse shots where between joy and john lovitz <laughs> as they're breaking up and it's just like because it, it's that shot of like joy and she seems so sweet and naive and angelic and just like oh i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> and then like it cuts to john lovitz who's like about to cry devastated <laughs> he's just <laughs> crushed and you can tell before a single word is spoken what's going on yeah andy are you okay yeah sure i'm, I'm fine and it's just like two cuts of one face and then another face and you already kind of know the mood of the scene just based on that alone. Yeah. And just the way the scene plays out, like John, they're, they're breaking up. They're still eating though. I always feel that's weird when you <laughs> break up like before the food comes out. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even do it during dinner. Like it seems like that's a, that's a quick thing. You shouldn't eat dinner and then do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, they're breaking up. It's bad. John Lovitz is talking about how he bought her this gift, had this like expensive ashtray yeah. like, sent away for, had her name engraved on it. He's like, the first time we went out, I just, I knew that you were special. And, you know, gives her this like gold plated ashtray that was like a replica of like this 18th century something. And yeah. like as an ashtray, I'm like, 
I don't know what I do with an ashtray, but it it does look nice. Like that yeah. is like a fancy gift to give to someone. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, I'm going to cherish this forever." And he just like paws it back. <laughs> and then he just lays into her. <laughs> you think I'm shit? Well, you're wrong. Cuz I'm champagne. And you're shit. That's one of those truly awkward scenes like it went pear-shaped and is so much more glorious for it (laughs) it definitely sets the tone for the rest of the movie too yeah it's like this is gonna be a sour movie (laughs) yeah it's like we have this horrible breakup where it's like the the woman who who did the breaking up ends up like at least being treated so much worse yeah (laughs) and then it cuts to credit happiness yeah (laughs) great it's good stuff out of all the sisters i think i respect her the least yeah it's hard to respect her when she doesn't respect herself in a lot of ways she's a real people pleaser in in a way that doesn't make her happy i just kind of feel like she is perfectly fine being pushed around as well yeah it kind of makes it sound like she's not a fleshed out character she is yeah like she is a developed character but yeah part of it is that she's just so weak and ineffectual yeah it's hard for me to sympathize with her character because of that and just little things that she does along the movie like make it even harder to sympathize with her like she wants to you know do good so she gets a job at like the refugee training center right but like as a scab like well, it's because what's, so John Lovett's character commits suicide, and she finds out about it, and um, it bums her out to the point that she quits the call center. Yeah. And she's like, I need to do something good with my life now. And yeah, so she goes to like this refugee teaching center where she teaches English, and they all hate her. <laughs> Inexplicably, it feels like. <laughs> it. Well, it feels like they like the the previous teacher yeah but all the previous like instructors at the center are on strike for benefits right and she says something she's like i am not a scab i am a strike breaker it's like uh, no you're a scab you're kind of a scab <laughs> <laughs> but then like even there she just gets like chewed up and spit out like even in the end like she still gives like when Vlad ends up like taking advantage of her, she's still like, even when she realizes that maybe she shouldn't be dealing with him anymore, she still ends up giving him money. Yeah. It's just like, honey. Yeah. Get some self-respect. I mean, she is, she's just one of those like wafy people that I feel like get caught up in not necessarily public opinion, but you know, she doesn't eat red meat. Yeah. Even though she does kind of look pasty and unhealthy for a lot of this. <laughs> I know that red meat doesn't cure that, but it clears like, your skin according to Trish. <laughs> yeah. She does end up eating red meat later though. It was when Alan called her. She's fixing a steak. Oh, you're right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah. When Alan called her, she's she's prepping a steak to cook. Uh, she's yeah, and she also doesn't know how to thaw a steak properly. You have to like thaw that in the fridge she just the like microwave puts it on a plate she and put it's a like frozen one in, in the pan <laughs> come on come on joy now i've really lost respect for you <laughs> her storyline is maybe the least interesting one because she's such a pushover yeah i would say that that 
Trish, if you just isolate Trish out of yeah. the sisters, her storyline is the least interesting, but she's married to Bill, who has a very interesting storyline. Yeah. Whereas Joy has to carry the whole thing herself. Right. Now, while she's in one of my favorite scenes of all time in any movie ever, the power of that scene doesn't necessarily translate to the rest of her storyline. Yeah. I still like her story. Her song sucks. I almost hate the song more when Michael Stipe sings it. <laughs> Wait, is that an R.E.M. song? I'm, I don't think so, but Michael Stipe sings it over the credits. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about it too much, but the their parents are also figure into this a little bit. They, like decide to get separated at an old old age old age <laughs> i just uh i thought there was a funny moment when when you mentioned red meat it made me think of this because the last scene is that like all them all sitting around the table eating together and there's a scene uh earlier when the dad is like at the doctor and, he, and the doctor's like you're gonna be great you're gonna live till you're 100 you got a heart like an ox just stay away from salt and then he's uh they're eating at the table and he's just like heavily salting his food <laughs> just like quietly trying to move things along in that direction yeah that was uh ben gazera yeah uh the villain from roadhouse the dad from buffalo 66 oh yeah that's right quality actor quality actor there i think what makes this movie great is that it does force us to sympathize with characters we normally wouldn't yeah um it's it's not a fun ride but no, I, I laugh. Yeah. It makes me laugh. Yeah. I definitely appreciate Todd Salon's, like the goals that he's trying to do. I mean, this is one of those movies that like, if I were to try and like impress someone, this was like a movie that I would show them. Yeah. Like I would feel that, like this is a blow your mind. You're not going, <laughs> you don't know what you're in for. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. And I, d- I don't feel like a lot of other directors try that. You know, even other directors that really like lean into like the uncomfortable or like the awkward don't do it the way that he does it. Yeah. I mean, it's really bold. It's it's bold <laughs> to make a like feature length movie where at the heart of it is a serial rapist pedophile. Yeah. That's a bold stance to take to like make a big movie and be like, yeah, I'm going to alienate a huge portion of the people who see this. Just as a, a maybe like a final thought, we were actually supposed to record this episode last time we got together to record, and I wasn't able to watch it because it, this this movie isn't available streaming anywhere, mm. and I didn't realize it until <laughs> I started watching it that it, that makes sense. Actually, <laughs> I can see why no streaming services would want to uh, attach themselves with this. This isn't one that you want. Um, an underage person accidentally watching. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Although I remember when it was in video stores, it was like in every video store. Yeah, I remember like it was sort of a, a big sleeper hit, I guess is the term that you use. Like, you know, it had no budget. The cast wasn't really big at the time. Philip Seymour Hoffman certainly wasn't like the star that we think of him now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it meant like, you know, mild success or or healthy success for like the type of movie that it is yeah yeah it is 
Boy, I, I, I really feel like it might be more problematic now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, good luck watching it if you do want to <laughs> watch it, listener, after what we said. Man, I don't know if I can recommend it, though. Like, it's it's a journey that you have to take on your own yeah, if you're I, willing to do it. Only for the bold. Like, this, this is a movie, like, not for the uninitiated. Like. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy it. I like it. But, uh, yeah, not for everyone. Yeah. So uh, what do you got lined up for us next, Matt? Next week is, is closing out our, our season. Oh, not, yeah. not the season finale, I should say, but it's going to be the, the, the last, last entry that I get franchise. to choose. Yeah. So uh, in keeping with my franchise picks, I, I want to do a franchise that, A, I haven't watched in a while, but B, I think is a little bit more timely than we're all really thinking of mm. and i also feel that is a uh, a good capper to our problematic season okay, yeah. <laughs> i am choosing the brian singer r.i.p brian singer's x2 oh the second x-men movie that's one of my favorite movies you mentioned that what was it the celluloid closet yeah uh yeah you mentioned that and you mentioned like the the gay undertones in it and i started thinking i was like i'm gonna have to go rewatch that movie now yeah <gasps> i love this movie well good because we're going to watch it. Oh, but it's now I don't know what to think. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a real problematic season, you know, now just that like, I think about it. <laughs> yeah. So we're just... We started out with the Brian Singer movie, and now oh, we're ending with a Brian Singer movie. Let's just get it all. Let's, we're getting it all done. God. What if by the time this comes out, like, Ian McKellen has assault allegations? Oh, What if Patrick Stewart had... <gasps> no. <laughs> all of... Next generation is tarnished. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, hopefully (laughs) they all remain pure and innocent. Yes. Well, so. Fingers crossed. Should we plug our junk? Yeah, let's shall. Go to our new website, xratedmovies.com. It's uh, just filled with interwebbiness. All the interweb stuff. You can just gobble it all up. We've got a Twitter account, at X-Rated Movies. We tweet from time to time, yeah. We tweet about. We also have an email account. It's x.rated.movies at gmail.com. If you want to send us uh, your personal failings as a human being, and we'll sympathize with you, because I and, think we've proven And we'll today, turn it into a Todd Salons-like movie. Yeah, we're excellent sympathizers here. But if you do anything... Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Oh, man. We love it when you do that. We we just... We come harder than Billy does at the end of (laughs) happiness. Every time you do, we come on the wall and post a little... (laughs) We print out your five-star review and just put it right on top of the come on the wall. Help us fill up the wall. Oh boy. Gross! <laughs> also, like our Facebook page oh, that's at right. Rated X Movies. Uh, there's no easy transition no. out of that. <laughs> uh, but join us next week for X Men 2. Yeah, sounds good. All right, see you then. All right, bye-bye. bye bye.